I didn't know quite what to expect when I got an invitation for lunch, but I never turned down an invitation. Anyway, I had this invitation for lunch from a friend. We met at a, a small diner, and uh, my host wanted me to know that at one time in his life, he had put his faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, he told me how he would read the Bible on a regular basis. He, he told me how that uh, at church he would even lead his family in spiritual exercises such as devotions and prayer. He was, he was always at church. He was involved. And something happened. Some tragedy came into his life. Something entered his life, and, and it rocked him to the core of his being. And that day at lunch, he looked across the table at me, and he said, Scott, I lost my faith. I didn't know what to say. And what made it so hard for me is I kept trying to get specifics. What happened? What was said? What took place that you believe called you or, or caused you to lose your faith? And I guess it was still raw. I guess it was still painful because he never would answer that question. He just wanted me to know he had lost his faith. We ate in silence for a while. Eventually, the conversation turned to other things, you know, the bears, the cubs, you know, stuff that really doesn't matter in the broad scheme of life. Oh, I would see him quite a bit after that on occasion. It was always friendly, always cordial, but there was always this shadow. And ever since that time, I have often wondered what would cause me to lose my faith? What about you? Have you ever thought about what, what would cause you to lose your faith? We're going to be back in Job again today, the, the book that comes right before the Psalms. And if anyone had a, a right to, to give up their faith, it would be Job. But as I have maintained throughout this series, I think the book of Job is far more about faith than it is about suffering. I believe it's about faith that encounters suffering. It's about faith that holds on in dear life, for dear life when nothing else makes sense. You see, for Job, God is not making sense. And his friends are definitely not making sense. And he's left to wonder and today we're going to look at several more statements that come from Job's mouth, statements that I believe are amazing statements of faith. And what make them such amazing statements of faith is they're made in the midst of great struggle and heartache and pain and suffering. Job is a man that is suffering in every way imaginable. And yet in the middle of that pain, in the middle of accusations from his friends, in the middle of dealing with his own wife's agony, he expresses great faith. He expresses great faith. 
Philip Yancey observed this in his book, The Bible Jesus Read. Yancey wrote, Job indistinctively believes he is better off casting his lot with God regardless of how remote or even sadistic God appears at the moment. Rather than abandoning all hope, Job holds tight to a belief in justice and a personal God in spite of the mountainous evidence against that belief because to him the alternatives are far worse. I think for some of us, that's one of the things that causes us to hang on. The alternatives are far worse. Turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 9. The first two statements of faith we're going to look at are statements that we actually looked at last week and saw them from the, what I would call, kind of the negative side. But today we're going to look at them and see the, the faith side of them. Job chapter 9, verse 33, uh, Job says, If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Job says, I need a mediator. I need somebody to stand between us. Literally, that's what he's saying, someone to stand between us. The word mediator actually means umpire. We need an umpire in this situation. We need someone to make a call. Someone to stand between us. The the idea is someone to stand between us and lay a hand on each shoulder and bring us together. That's Job's desire. It's, It's from his standpoint, I need someone who will help me address God. Now, we cannot say at this point how clearly developed Job's theology was. Most likely, Job did not have stuff in writing that would help him understand God. I would dare say what Job knew about God was passed down through what was called oral tradition. Before writing, before clear record-keeping, there was oral tradition. And oral tradition was a highly structured and actually considered a very reliable way of passing information down from generation to generation. Uh, it uh, It would be the way they would sit around the fire, so to speak, and the elders would talk about why they believed, what they believed, and it would be learned and memorized and passed down. Here's what we do know. We do know that Job knew you don't come to God empty-handed, and he had learned. We see it in chapter 1. He had learned about being and offering sacrifices to God. He knew that as the patriarch of his family, it was his responsibility to make sacrifices for his own children, uh, making sure that, that they were right before God. He had that responsibility. Abraham in Genesis has that responsibility. So in this moment of trial, in this moment where Job has already made sacrifices, where he's done the things that he knew to do, he is struggling with the suffering, and he says, maybe, maybe if there was a mediator, maybe if there was one that would stand up for me, 
Maybe if there was one who would stand between God and me and kind of negotiate this, maybe we could get to a reason why. Job says, I need a mediator. I keep reminding the folks on Thursday night, don't get too far ahead of me. Too often we want to start at Job and run to the New Testament. Stay with Job. We'll get there. Trust me. But for now, stay with Job. Because I believe sometimes you and I have wondered, does God see? Does God know? Does God know what I'm feeling right now? Does God know what I'm struggling? And, and, and part of us says yes, and part of us says if only somebody could really communicate to him. You see, we all need a mediator. Flip over a couple pages to Job chapter 13. Again, we, we, we looked at this last week from the standpoint of the second part of it, of Job wanting to defend his ways to, to God's face. But let me read the, the whole verse here. Uh, I'm going to pick it up in verse 13, Job 13, 13. We're going to zero in on verse 15. Keep silent and let me speak, then let come to me what may. Why do I put myself in jeopardy and take my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him I will surely defend my ways to his face. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will wait expectantly for what's going to happen. I will wait in faith. I will trust him. I will surely Defend my ways to his face. We saw last week that that was part of Job's demandingness. But in this unique nature of this sentence, it shows us kind of what we saw last week, that faith can be confusing and messy at times. On the one hand, Job is saying, I am going to wait expectantly for God. On the other hand, and I'm going to trust that what God wants to do is going to happen. And yet, on the other hand, I want to, I want to, Tell him to his face what's going on in my life. Job is quite confused about what God's doing, and Job is confused about what the purpose of all this has happened to him. But at the same time, he's hopeful. He truly believes that God is going to work all this out. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know when. But there is a faith-based assurance that it will happen. I was speaking with a friend the other day just about difficulties we, we face in life. And, and we ended up landing on the fact that it's God's grace. God's grace is shown by the fact that he makes us finite beings. You see, it's in our finiteness that we remember that we have to trust God because none of us can see beyond this minute. I mean, I, I, as I thought about that, I thought about, I wonder how I would have responded if, if as a 19-year-old kid, just before I went to Moody Bible Institute, if, if God and I would have sat down and God would have said, okay, Scott, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go up to Chicago. You're, in, in about six months, you're going to meet this wonderful, beautiful young lady and you will fall head over heels in love. Now, 
I know that you're going up there to study broadcasting, but that's not going to be what you're going to do. You see, you're going to be a pastor. God, wait, can I stop you right there? I don't want to be a pastor, period. Here, here's my plan. And you see, the word pastor isn't on there anywhere. You're so cute, Scott. Just listen. You're going to marry this young lady. You're going to graduate with a degree in broadcasting. See, now you're starting to get the picture. Don't get ahead of me. You're going to marry this young lady. Oh, and by the way, 11 months later, you're going to have a baby. At 23 years old? Really? I, I, can, we, can we delay that a little bit? Nope, this is, my, this is what's going to happen. And eventually you're going to become a pastor. Did you see what I wrote? Didn't you just hear me? Well, you're going to be in seminary. I'm not going to seminary. I'm not going to be a pastor. Scott, just listen. You're going to struggle financially through seminary. And you're going to eventually be a pastor. No, I'm Yes, you are. Just listen. As a pastor, you are going to have challenges. You keep saying that. I'm not going to. You're going to be a pastor. I'm not going to be. You're going to be a pastor. And you're going to get ridiculed. You're going to come close to getting fired twice. And then you're going to move on to this other church, and you're going to live in a parsonage. Are you kidding me? I grew up in a parsonage. I do not want to live in a parsonage. Do you know what a dump those places are? Scott, listen to me. You're going to have good days, bad days, worse days. And you're going to live in relative obscurity. Wow, you haven't looked at my plan at all, God. I'm going to write books. People are going to know my name. No, just listen. This is my plan. You see, had I known all of the details of God's plan when I was 19, I would have done everything possible to work my own plan. And in foolishness, I tried anyway at different times. God doesn't tell us his plans. God doesn't tell us the struggles we will face. God doesn't tell us the challenges that will come our way or the ways we may even fail because he wants us to focus on one thing. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. That's what he wants me to focus on. That's what he wants you to focus on, hoping in him. That's what's so amazing in Job's statement here. Job has lost everything, and he says, you know, even if God takes my life, I'm going to cling to him. What an amazing statement of faith. Job says, I've looked at the alternatives. God is my only hope. Go a few more pages over to chapter 16. Chapter 16 and verse 19. I want to pick it up at verse 18, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Job says, Earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Even now, my witness is in heaven, my advocate is on high, my intercessor is my friend. As my eyes pour out tears to God on behalf of a man, he pleads with God as one pleads with a friend. 
Job says, I am confident I have an advocate. Now, this is the middle of a response to Eliphaz. Eliphaz is the oldest of the three friends that come to Job. And Eliphaz's second statement is just a barrage of accusations. And, 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 and so Job here, in responding to this barrage of accusations, makes a statement of faith that is just actually mind-blowing. You see, verse 18 seems to indicate that Job is in such a bad way earth do not cover my blood may my cry never be laid to rest job wonders if he will ever live through this trial and if and, and so he's crying out don't let my cry be buried with me and, and, and don't let me die before i'm vindicated before my friends but his longing is that he will be vindicated and in verses 19 through 21 Three things stands out. Stand out. Job says, My witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend. My witness is in heaven. The one who will give a testimony about my life and my innocence is already in heaven, is already in the presence of God. Some will say Job is merely referencing God here, but how does God plead with God like one friend pleads with him? And we've got to be so careful that we don't make this a predictive statement. Woohoo! Job's talking about Jesus. Job has never heard about Jesus. But Job does know the theology that we see in chapter 1 that there are the sons of earth that come before God. And just like there's an accuser that went before God, Job is longing for a witness, an advocate, someone to say, God, Take another look at Job. Job had a confident faith that somebody is in God's presence who will speak on his behalf. He develops the idea by referencing his advocate. The word advocate is a term that means one who can testify with clear and direct knowledge. Again, standing in direct uh, opposition of the accuser. The accuser comes up and says, Job only follows you, God, because you give him stuff. And he's hoping that there's an advocate saying, God, look at Job. He's still clinging to you no matter what. And he says, I know that. I know we can be found on high. I know there's somebody who's going to intercede with me and, and be my friend. Job has a hope of a relationship. But this isn't predictive prophecy that we know of. It's just a hurting man expressing the core of his faith that he believes that God is not going to abandon him. Just for a moment, let the depth of Job's faith with a limited theology sink in. He is clinging to all he's got. And sometimes you and I find ourselves there. And it gets even better. Just another couple page over is Job 19, 25 to 27. Verse 23, Job says, Oh, that my words were recorded. 
that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead, engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Job is making this wishful thinking prior to this and, and just you know, wanting some kind of change. And all of a sudden he makes this amazing statement of faith. I know my Redeemer lives. The word there is, I know my kinsman Redeemer lives. The idea of a kinsman Redeemer runs deep in the history of ancient Israel. It's the idea that the nearest kin of a man would take on the responsibility of preserving that man's family and security should anything happen to him. The most famous biblical story that illustrates this is uh, the book of Ruth. And, and here, Ruth and Boaz eventually get married, and Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer. As a result, he redeems Naomi's family. He redeems the property of her husband. He redeems it. He buys it back. And he provides security for Naomi as a widow. He provides security for Ruth. He provides an heir for Ruth. And we know that from that relationship came Jesse, who eventually was the father of David. And the messianic line flows through there. And so we see that. And it seems that Job has moved from just a, a third party who's an intercessor to actually longing for a kinsman redeemer and saying, I know my kinsman redeemer lives. And Job says, I am confident that someday I will stand before God. I will see before God. You see, at this point in Job's trial, he has absolutely nothing left. His friends have been far less than helpful. He's in physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional torment. He's convinced that he's going to die. And so he clings to a shred of faith that God has not abandoned him. And there is one who will redeem all this. And I see that as an amazing statement of faith from a hurting man. It seems to me in my own ministry the one I didn't want, that I've now been doing for over 30 years, that I've been able to see in those unique moments in which someone is on the threshold of departing from this life and going to the next, especially a person of faith who's believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, that he rose again. They've put their faith in him. They've trusted him. And in those last moments it seems their faith becomes sight i've often told you uh, about my own mom in july of 2008 as we stood around that hospital bed in beckley west virginia and as this wonderful doctor came in and she came up to my mom and she she could have easily been a chaplain because she went from the role of medical doctor to the role of chaplain in, in a real sense. She took my mom's hand and she began to just kind of stroke her arm. And she said, Dorothy, I'm sorry. The cancer has spread. 
and it's in your bones. And she went down the list, you know, gave a little bit of that. And she said, Dorothy, there's nothing more we can do. And with resolve, with strength, with faith that was becoming sight, my mom looked at her and she looked at my sisters, my brothers-in-law, my dad, and she said, well, all my days were written in God's book before one of them came to be, and I am ready to meet the Lord. And seven days later, she met Jesus. We were all making plans for hospice and this and that. She went on her terms. In fact, two days before she died, she called. They were Mom and Dad were, Dad's a retired pastor. They were going to a church there in Beckley. She called her pastor, kicked all of us out of the room, and sat down and outlined her entire funeral. Now, you've got to understand my mom. My mom could... You, you give her a hymn, she could tell you what page in the hymnal it was. And, she had, and, and you know what? He left. Had, he had his marching orders. He even told him what passage to preach from. When we got back to the room, Mom had gone to sleep. She never woke up again. She was confident her Redeemer lives. Her faith had become sight. Job didn't have the knowledge my mom have had. He didn't have the theology she had. He didn't have the completed Bible that she had. Job is simply believing by some way, shape, or form that he will see God, his divine kinsman, redeemer. And that leads us to a final statement of faith. I'm sure there are more, but it's the final one we'll look at today. Job chapter 23. Remember last week we looked at the first part of that. If I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, this is verse 8, I, I do not find him. When he's at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Job returns to what he knows to be true of his very life. He returns to what he knows to be true of him from our perspective as readers. Remember, we get to read this, what's called third-person omnipresent, or, and so we get to see everything. We know that Job is innocent. We know that he's a righteous man. We know that God is proud of him, as it were, that God is confident. And he is confident that God knows his path. He is confident that God knows his heart. He is confident that God knows his works. He is confident that God knows his commitment, that God knows his obedience. He knows my path, Job says. Something you and I don't fully grasp because of our finite nature. We serve a God who is not bound by time or space. We serve a God who is not limited by his knowledge. We serve a God who knows the beginning from the end. 
God knows the outcome of an impending trial that you may be going through before you go through it. God, Job takes great assurance in the fact that God knows his path. Granted, he's defending himself yet again to his friends. But it's in that defense that he is certain that God is fully aware and fully just. Would you take assurance today in the reality that a suffering man who thought he was good and dead, as good as dead, expressed, God knew his path. God knows your path. God knows what you're wrestling with right now, this morning. God knows your fears. God knows your hopes. God knows your dreams. God knows where you have succeeded. God knows where you failed. And he's walking with you in all of it. He is the God who is there and he knows your name. All that Job longed for has been provided to you and me through Jesus Christ. I told you we would get there. You see, we know the beginning and the end of this book, so we know that in the end, God restored all that Job had lost. But God doesn't do it right away. God waits because his full plan had yet to be revealed. Now, what makes Job's statement so amazing is we have the privilege now of now looking back and seeing how Jesus is the fulfillment of what Job hoped for. In John 15, 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus calls himself our friend. In Romans 8, 34, we learn that Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of God and he is making intercession for us. He is our intercessor. Colossians 1.14 is one of several places in which we're reminded that through Jesus we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is our Redeemer. He's our kinsman Redeemer. 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul informs us there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus. He's our mediator. He's, our, he's the umpire. 1 John 2, 1-2 remind us that when we stumble and fall, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And with all of that truth at our fingertips, we sometimes find ourselves wondering, like Job did, Okay, God, so what are you really doing here? What's your plan? What's your purpose? Why am I going through this? Sometimes we may be tempted to say, maybe I ought to look elsewhere for truth. Maybe this faith thing isn't all it's cracked up to be. And yet, 
I find that God deals with us in ways that are paradoxical. The late Dr. Larry Crabb wrote a book entitled 66 Love Letters, a conversation with God that invites you into his story. Each chapter deals with questions that arise from each book of the Bible and kind of reframes it as God's love letter, God inviting you to just love him even more. In the book of Job, as Job is trying to figure out who God is and how God is loving, and by letting the accuser ruin his life, uh, Crab captures a response by God that we all, I think, need to remember. He imagines God saying this, To know me well, you must first be confused by me. <laughs> Only in the mystery of suffering will you stop trying to fit me into your understanding of life. When you stand before me in mystery, you will eventually rest with me in trust. When you can't figure me out, you will give up the illusion of predictability and control and discover the joy of freedom and hope. Job, like you and me, wrestled with the fact that he wasn't in control. He wasn't able to figure God out. And I want to warn you, when you get to the point where you think you have God figured out, you have actually just recreated God in your image. When you are at the point where God loves all the things that you love and loves the people you love and hates the people you hate, you have reduced God to your image. We can't figure God out, and we shouldn't try in the sense of trying to say, oh, I know exactly what God is thinking at every moment. I don't. I don't know his exact plan for my life. I don't know what next week holds. I can only look back and see where he's taken me. I, I have to trust him for tomorrow. Job took the confusion he had with God and allowed it to lead him back to a place of hope and faith, and he decided to cling to God who refuses to be put into our boxes. I don't know why my friend lost his faith. I don't know why he wouldn't allow me to know more of the details. I know my heart was broken that day, and I believe God's was too. Maybe, just maybe, God is allowing you and me to go through times of confusion because it's then that we just trust him because it's all we have. And when God is all we have left, we're in a good place. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the way that your word teaches us and leads us and guides us and helps us to see who you are. As we wrestle with our day-in and day-out existence, may we be reminded that we serve a God who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, who knows everything about us and walks with us. In Jesus' name, amen.